Your lips can do a whole lot more than kiss. Your lips express love and speak your truth. Plump your lips with Juvederm Volbella XE or Juvederm Ultra XE for natural-looking results that are completely and uniquely you. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XE or Juvederm Ultra XE. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Welcome to the Men's Journal Everyday Warrior Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Sorelli. This week, our guest is Adam Rapon. Adam is very much an everyday warrior. Adam is a medal-winning Olympian in figure skating and has been listed as one of Time Magazine's 100 Most Influential People. Adam made history in 2018 during the Winter Olympics, where he became the first openly gay man to represent the U.S., and his struggles and life story is nothing short of uplifting. This episode was recorded in front of a live audience at Whiskey Tango Foxtrot in Austin, Texas. Here's my interview with Adam Rapon. Let's dive right in. Um, this is going to be a wonderful conversation for uh, a lot of people. And I'm excited to learn from you because you've done so much in only 32 years. To wow. my 44. You're very sweet. Let's go. I'm ready. Let's go. Okay. Yeah. So, born in 1989, November 11th in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Yeah. And is, is Scranton a, a, a hotbed for Olympic level figure skaters? All right. Um, look me in the eye. And what do you think? It's Absolutely not. There's not, not. A lot of, there's not a lot of hot bedding in Scranton, to be honest. And no offense to Scranton. Love the place. Um, but, uh, I actually, uh, you know, I'm from the East coast. So like the winters are cold and, um, I got into skating because it was just like somebody had a birthday party or like, we just went to the, the big thing to do where we're from is like in the winter, you go to Montage Mountain to ski. I'm, I'm assuming you've obviously heard of Montage Mountain. Actually, I have not. Right. I mean, no, it's, right. But in Scranton, we have Montage Mountain. Is, is it's it our Squaw is it Valley. Is what? Is it a mountain? No. Or is it a hill? It's a hill. It's a hill. Barely. I've, I've never skied on it either. Okay. Do you love the way that the story is going? By the way, yeah. <laughs> so Scranton is, and I had a good mentor, um, a guy named Bill Campbell, who's from a coal mine in Pennsylvania, and he went on to to be the secret coach of Silicon Valley, but uh, always when he talked about his upbringing in, uh, in Pennsylvania, it was, it was a blue collar town. It was hard living. Totally. It's, it's exactly that. Like it's a really strong, like middle, lower class town. Um, really great people, really hardworking people. Um, and a lot of people who've been there for like a really long time, like generations. Good. And that's me. And, and so you said you got interested in you know, skating when you were at a birthday party. 
Yeah, well, so like my mom would bring me skating like every winter and I hated it. And the only thing I really wanted to do was like have a soft pretzel and a hot chocolate. Can you blame me? No. And so um, I just never liked it. And then I went to, uh, there was a girl in my class who had a skating party and I uh, went, I was like nine, so I was a little older. Um, and I just loved it. I, and I kept asking my mom to like, can I go back? Can we please go back? And then famously our birthday is November 11th. Um, for my uh, birthday, I got signed up for like the group lesson classes. And so that's how I got started. In, in Scranton? In, in actually Pittston which, as it sounds, is worse than Scranton. <laughs> and how far is that from Scranton? Um, it's about, like, uh, 30 minutes on the turnpike. Okay. And so your mom's driving you out. And, and, and I'm sorry, going back, just looking at your life, because we always do research our, our guests out of respect. Your parents divorced when you were 13? E- yeah. Yeah I, I, yeah, I think my parents got divorced. I was, they were, I was about 13. 13. Yeah. And you're the oldest of? Six. Six? Yeah. Siblings. It's a lot. I, I only had three. I, I, so with that many siblings, is that a competitive environment? Because, I mean, I, I can assume you're competing for mom and dad's time and, and resources, bathroom time. And I think that, like, when there's so many of you, everybody wants to find their own thing. Uh, and that's what me and my siblings all did. We all found like our own thing that we really liked to like pursue. And um, when there is so many, there's obviously going to be like an age gap. And so for me, like to my younger siblings, I feel almost more like an uncle to them than I feel like my older siblings are kind of like actually my siblings. Does that make sense? So did you become in some sense the man of the house when your parents finally got divorced? Let's say yes. Yeah, to a degree. Well, kind of, but also no, because when, by the time my parents were divorced, um, I wasn't living at home anymore because I was living um, in Philadelphia during the week to, to train. So like on a Monday morning, um, I'd have my, my little like portable radio with my headphones and I'd listen to like 98.5 KRZ on the Greyhound bus and I'd take the Greyhound bus from Scranton to Philadelphia and then I'd do the same thing on Friday from Philly back to Scranton. So I wasn't home for a lot of like the big parts of like my parents separating. So I'm assuming as you're describing it, when your mom signed you up for those lessons, the instructors are like, hey, your son has talent. Like, did, he's beyond these lessons. We need to get him into a different circle. I think what it was was that um, it was the first thing that I was really into, and I just loved, and I just wanted to do it all the time, and I did everything I could to make sure that there was, like, no excuse that I couldn't get to the ring. And I remember, like, I wanted to skate in the morning, and my mom was like, you know, everybody needs to get up for school, and I need to get everybody ready. And I remember that, like, for a while... I would wake up all of my siblings at like 4.30 in the morning and I would panic them that they were late for school and I would like get everybody ready and make their lunches and stuff. And then by like five o'clock, I could wake my mom up and be like, can we go to the rink? Everybody's ready for school. And that's just good business. Yeah. So when they recognized you had real potentially competitive talent, did that then become to, to dominate your life? Because I'm assuming, as you're telling me, so that you're not enrolled in regular school by this point. You're doing uh, remote 
learning computers mm-hmm. and then spending most of your time on the rig. Yes, I was doing. Uh, I was being homeschooled, which I couldn't not recommend more. I was. I really. I was really good with school, and I liked school. Um, but with like the homeschooling, it was tough because I really needed that like accountability. So when I finally was like in high school, I started doing it online with like a charter school program, which was much better. Because you felt like you had some sense of homecoming. Yeah, because my I wasn't listening to my mom. Are you kidding me? <laughs> we 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 don't. That's that's the thing. Teenagers is yeah. They thought they think they have everything figured out. Yeah, and the other thing about teenagers is that they suck. I'm not. As a father of a 14 and about my 18, actually, my daughter turns 18 today. Wow. I know. A lot of birthday talk. A lot of birthdays. It's no, teenagers think they have everything figured out. So did I. I was not easy to live with. In, in, in retrospect, I look back at my parents, I'm like, you were right about 99% of the things. I know. That's what's so sad. And like, of, of all the fighting that I've done with my parents, which I haven't done a lot, I was a teacher's pet. A teacher's parent, um, but I all of like the things that my mom would like get upset with me about, like when I was younger, she was right. Which I guess I have to hand it to her. We we just don't like to tell them directly. I don't think no, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so you, in many ways, you didn't live a traditional teenage life because you were so laser focused on, on skating. I'm assuming during the weekends you were going to every competition you could. That I could yeah, I mean, like uh, I would go home during the weekend, so I'd spend some time with my family then. Um, and then, you know, there would be competitions and that's when I, my mom would like get pulled away from the family because then my mom would travel with me and we went to like a, many different competitions like all down the East Coast. Um, and so, yeah, it was just that that's all I was focused on. And I know that like in retrospect or like thinking about like what's a normal sort of childhood, um, it might sound like I was making sacrifices, but like from my perspective, I never was because I was getting to do something I really loved to do. So you just had pure love for the sport. Oh yeah. It was like not even, it was just like the first time I felt like I was like good at something. Was, was there a certain feeling on the uh, on ice when you're by yourself that, that just drew you in? Because I, I see that being a highly competitive environment, which may be a turnoff to some people. Was that I mean, was it spiritual in a sense? I, I think um, what I really loved about it was I, I liked the, the performance aspect of it, but I loved the learning and mastering like new elements. And I loved like just the training of it, especially as I got older, um, I would say like now when I look back at my career, the most fun I had with it was probably in the last few years before I competed um, at the Olympics because I just loved that training so much. And the competitions didn't scare you? I didn't love competing. What were you feeling before a major competition? Yeah, like I was going to have the worst diarrhea in the history of (laughs) the world. And I remember, like, I specifically remember, like, when um, I was skating in my last event at, in the Pyeongchang Olympics. And I remember thinking, like, why do I do this to myself? Like, this is awful. And then, of course, the second it's done, I'm like, this is the most amazing thing ever. And it's, I always would remind myself, like, just focus on how you want to feel when it's over so that, like, 
these feelings that you're feeling, uh, this uh, feeling uncomfortable, use it as a way to like perform to a higher level. The, the human psyche is so fickle. Totally. I hate this. And then all of a sudden you're done. You're like, I love this. This is the best feeling in the world. Yeah. And I, I had to like, as I got older, like rechannel the, the way that I would feel my nerves. I think sometimes I felt like it made me hold back. And I had to just remind myself that like, oh, this is adrenaline that I can use to take it a step further that I couldn't in practice. So this is actually like a really good thing. And I would remind myself of that. And um, it was something that really changed the way that I competed. So you started really getting serious about skating at the age of 10. Is that late compared to a lot of the Olympic level skaters? Yeah, I mean, um, in my sport specifically, um, for the men, a, a good age to be like compete, like at your peak and uh, at the Olympics would be like 22 to 24. Um, it's just, you know, you're, you're still young enough, but you're mature enough and you have like enough strength to like be competitive and strong and do uh, handle all of the elements and everything. So a lot of people get started um, much earlier, like five, six. Because skating is a weird thing because it's it's... I think when sport meets a skill, right? Like playing chess is a skill. You need to know how to, you know, calculate all the moves and have a feel for like what people are going to do. And, and the skating aspect of it is a total skill. Like you need to just spend hours and hours and hours and learn how to skate. But you also need to be a really great athlete. So it's like you need to have this skill to showcase your athletic ability. And I think that's what I kind of really loved about it. So a lot of people don't have an insight into what a traditional day is for you training. Mm-hmm. Walk me through that. Cause I'm, I'm assuming there's, there's time on the ice. There's time in the gym. Yes. There's time for flexibility. What it, what it was, what does that look like for a Olympic level competitor? I think, okay. Also, I know that this is stupid, but like I didn't realize how much time I was spending doing it until I wasn't doing it anymore. Um, but a normal day, if I was like training, so like, let's, let's go back to like 2017, right? Okay. We're going to the ring together. Um, I don't want to wake up that early. It's like 10 o'clock. Okay. I'm not a SEAL Team 6 member. 10 a.m. is kind of what we're first, going with. First off, I, I don't know what SEAL Team you just mentioned. Let's uh, erase that from the uh, I have no knowledge. <laughs> okay, so 10 a.m. Does that feel good to you? That feels good. Okay, felt good to me. So that's when it, what time are you? Well, nine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're not, we're really not pushing it yet. So, um, I'd wake up, I'd have breakfast, I'd get started, um, and then I would head to the rink, I'd be at the rink around 10 o'clock. Okay. So then we'd, we'd be at the rink, I would do a, a, like a lighter workout for about an hour. So I'd be like in the gym over there for about an hour, then I would train and I'd be on the ice for about two hours. Then after that I would do another like light workout. Um, and wait, then wait, when you say a light workout, what does that look like? Basically like, um, so in skating, when we, uh, do all of our jumps and our spins, like you, you have a side that's like your dominant side. So like when I would land a jump, I would only land on my right leg. So everything is on your right leg. So when I would do a light workout, we would do like different stability exercises so that like your body isn't too like unbalanced and so we would do a lot of that stuff to kind of like keep the body in line so we would just it would do like band work it would basically look like a workout like at curves 
Well, actually, Tom Brady is doing a lot of those same type of Yeah, workouts. and he's doing fine. <laughs> I think we could both agree there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, when you say you, you were right side dominant, is that because you were right handed? Yeah. So like when you're young, they, they'll basically like your coach will kind of see which way you naturally want to spin or do all of your different elements. And then from there, they'll just kind of like teach you in that order. I think it's better to be like right-handed because also all of our patterning on the ice, like is the same. And you like kind of go with like the flow of traffic. So if you're left-handed, you're always like, everyone's always in your way and you're always in everybody else's way. It's tough. Being left-handed is tough. My wife is in the crowd uh, raising her hand. She's left-handed, so she may disagree with that. You, you, say, so you say balance, but still wouldn't work out to build just your right side a little stronger than the left? They were, so basically a lot, like a lot of our um, weight training and all, a lot of like what our workout would be, would, we would do that on the ice. So it wasn't a lot of weight training. It was mostly like we would do basically everything we would do on the ice. Then we would take that on off the ice and we would try to like realign ourselves and do like a lot of lower body stuff. Not a lot of upper body stuff. It's so predominantly for skaters, it's lower body strength, I would assume. Yes. So like uh, as a single skater, which I was, I skated by myself, um, we had like no upper body we did not do anything because you want to be as light as possible. And so your trunk is obviously going to be much bigger and thicker. And so we would focus on the legs and basically like when you do all of the jumps, there's not any sort of arm strength or upper body strength that you need. Um, you just don't want them to get in the way. So like when you like rotate and move them around, when you're like doing all of the elements, you move them in a way that they just don't like, they catch the least amount of air as possible. Okay. So we didn't really do like, we did tons of core obviously, but like no, like no upper body. So that's the first half of the day. And then we would just repeat that again. So then you're following me. I'm following you. And then I would go home because I am actually a crazy person. And then, um, I would wear like this sauna suit. The, the sweatsuit. Yeah. Like wrestling. Yes. yes. And then I would go for a jog in it every night. For about like forty minutes. That's that's a long job. Yeah, especially when you're sweating your ass off. So you were training from ten a.m. to what do you think? Midnight. I would take. I would probably in the middle of that because I I would like postpone this run as long as possible. So obviously it was like I should have done it at like eight, but I would wait until midnight. Midnight. So. Before we get to the mid-roll break, I know you came out and talked in the New York Times about body image. Mm -hmm. And do you feel you were living an unhealthy life in a sense while you were competing? I think like being an elite athlete isn't a healthy thing. Um, I'm going to agree with you here. Peak performance is not intended to be sustained. Right. And I think... um, I think like to be an elite athlete, you have to push yourself to do crazy things to be competitive. And I think when you have an opportunity to look back on it, you realize some of the insanity you put yourself through and you realize that like, you know, I'm really grateful for a lot of people who have like these conversations of like mental health and, and talking about like eating disorders and stuff like that. I think it's really important because, um, 
it helps other athletes get to a point of being elite without doing a lot of the mistakes that someone like I would have made. Well, that's the old intent, right? Each generation passes on yeah. the next tape. Totally, yes. Don't, don't do what I did. Um, to what degree were there external factors in that push to be so thin and control your diet? Is that, is that a sport or was that internally driven by you? So for me, it was never like, it wasn't a body image thing. It was, I could see who was being, who was having success around me and I saw that they were thinner and I was being as logical as possible and was like, okay, I, if I want to be better, I should just get thinner. And so that's when I, I mean, I absolutely went like overboard. Like, um, I re- do you know what kefir is? Yeah. You know, that's like that liquidy yogurt. It's basically what like old grandmas eat. And that's, I would just have like a bottle of that like every day. Okay, that's, so let's, let's step back to your, your, your diet. Your diet was so in the so basically the year getting ready for the Olympics, I was much healthier. I was probably like the healthiest version of myself because the year before I had broken my foot, and I feel like I totally broke my foot because like I was just eating like Bob's bread, you know that like nut bread. Yes. Yeah. How how many calories? I was probably having. I mean, obviously, I had some like binges here and there but like on a day where I was like oh I did a good job was probably having like 600 calories yeah that's one of my meals yeah that's one of my six meals a day that was one of my days what what were the adverse see the craziest thing about it is that I was skating really well and that I was getting a lot of praise for being so like lean and fit and um and I still wasn't like the smallest person there so like nobody was worried about me and I also didn't think I thought I was just doing what I needed to do so I was like I don't have a problem um but then all of a sudden you know when you like break your foot just walking to like go put your skates on which is how I broke my foot I was like okay this might be something I have to address now because I knew it was something I would deal with but just later because it didn't feel like an issue I was actually having because I didn't have an issue but then I you know when you look at it you're like um yeah just having bread and I can't believe it's not butter isn't a day meal it is delicious though you know what that is wildly I think we're all agreeing how wildly and healthy and not the best for your body because I'm sure it threw your hormones off wildly off that few calories but you broke your leg and is it true the doctor went to you because he said hey you're probably out for quite a while and he said hey that's not going to work because let just come up and he said and I quote because uh, you said I'll be ready in four months he's like you're a delusional bitch yeah. Well, I well I am a delusional bitch. So it made it did make complete sense. Um but so I remember I broke my foot. It was like almost a year to the day of like Olympic qualifiers. They would be like in a year in that time. And um I remember where I broke my foot at the rink and I remember like looking out this window at the rink and was like, "You know what? I'm going to take this time I re- like, you know, as soon as I don't know what happened, but I was like, I'm going to be fine. I'm going to um, move out to Colorado Springs because there's an Olympic training center out yes. there. So it's like, I'll just I'll move to Colorado Springs for a few months. 
Um, I'll, I'll, you know, get my shit together, blah, blah, blah. That being said, that window, that window at the rink isn't there, but I still like vividly remember looking out a window, obviously delusional. So I remember like just having this like clear vision of like, I'm going to get it together. And all of these, of course, like in that moment, like every kind of mistake that you you've made comes to like, Oh, if I had done this, this wouldn't have happened or whatever. So in that moment, I'm like, you know what, I'm going to work with, you know, the best people who are out there and I'm going to make sure that I'm in the best shape of my life. I'm going to use this as an opportunity to like, I don't need to worry about any of the shows that they would do in the summer. I don't need to worry about doing any other competitions. Like I have a year to get ready for the Olympics that everybody else doesn't have because they have to still do so many different things. So like in that moment, that's where I was like, I'll, I'm going to use this to my advantage. You know, the average person, they look at you and they say, just your life in general, just delusional? Yeah. You know what that means to me? Driven beyond means. Driven beyond means. And you looked at a guy who probably went to school for eight years to get his degree. You mean his expert opinion, uh, expert opinions if you were done, you're like, I appreciate your input. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to disregard that and all your education. Get out of the way. I mean, it's just, it's, it's totally wild. I mean, like you can create it truly. Like if you set your mind to it, you'll find a way there somehow. And I always, there's always so many different points of my life where I was like, I don't know how, I'll, <clears throat> I don't know how I'll get there, but I won't worry about how I'll get there. I just want to keep focusing on like when I'm there, this is what I'll feel. You know, watching, going through special operations assessment selection to make it in any community, the SEALs, the Green Berets, the Marsoc, which they're all stunts. I love all these communities. Mm. You quickly learn, especially when you go back as an instructor and watch it, is that the body is so resilient. Yeah. It will go for days, but the mind, the mind is the number one thing for a lot of people, which will break. I've seen a lot of guys quit SEAL training that could have kept on going. Their bodies could have kept on going. It's just they're absolutely their mind. Yeah. I mean, I can, obviously, I can't relate. No, you can't. You, 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 I, you're I at can, the, the international <laughs> level. I can relate to it because there were just so many times where, like, I just completely, like, disassociated my mind from my body and was like, just think of your whole body as, like, you're a robot. Just keep going like you can keep going just take your mind completely out of it and that's how I got through like a lot of training sessions that's how I got through a lot of competitions and events that I just pretended that I wasn't like living in my own body I, I'm upset you're not staying in Austin a little longer because I would love to see what you consider one of your hardest workouts and I'm, I'm, I'm assuming you wouldn't put me to the task but just to go through it uh, I'd love to see that so we're going to have to link back up. When, when we will, okay. yes. Good. Well, before we One of my hardest ball, workouts now, you can obviously make it through that now. I'm at, well, it's more mimosa-based. I, I just worked out with Tim Kennedy, who's a mm -hmm. big UFC you know, fighter, former Green Beret, well, still yes. current Green Beret. Uh, he and his squad crushed me to the point where <clears> I was not walking around you know, normal for about three Now you'll walk around normal with me, I promise. You'll be fine. So before we go to mid-roll, and we're going to take about a five-minute break, we ask our guests two hard questions. And you can totally say, I default until after the break. If okay. About this. Hardest decision you've ever made? 
Um, okay, I'll answer it. I won't default. Um, I think the hardest decision I ever made was like finally moving out to California. Um, cause I, I moved out to California almost 10 years ago. Um, and when I moved there, uh, I, it was, it felt kind of like the, my like last chance to like hope make an Olympic team or make something really meaningful of my like skating career. Um, and when I moved out there, I really, I didn't have like anything. I remember like I had like $80 in cash that I went to like a bank of America and was like, can you open something with cash? And they're like, yeah, it's a bank. And I was like, okay, <laughs> I get it. Um, that's like it. And like from that moment, I just like, I relied on really amazing people around me. Um, I lived in my coach's basement. I, it was scary, but, um, it's like a point of my life where I'm so grateful and it's like the best thing that ever happened to me. For, for me, so that, that begs the question for Olympic athletes, are they just scrounging to, to make it by? Oh yeah. I mean like, um, only the athletes, especially in like a niche sport, like, like skating where it's something that you watch every four years. Um, if you're like in the general public, right? So like only if you're at, I would say like, if you're in the top five in the world, you're like making money, top five, top six, you can make money cause you're meddling at a lot of your events. You're getting asked to do a lot of the shows so you can make like a, a nice living. And in the last few years I was making a for a skater, very decent living. Cause I wasn't like the best, but I was like in the mix of like the guys at the top. So I was able to make like a, a decent living for myself, which I mean, I basically was able to pay everybody back from when I couldn't afford it. Are, are there any countries that support their Olympic athletes better than we do? You know, it's super loaded because um, in the U.S., um, the athletes aren't supported by the government. So everything is from, uh, through private sponsors. So like when the U.S. athletes go, it's like Tide Pods and like McDonald's. Like that's how we got there um, through those sponsorships and through private donors who like enjoy the Olympics and they love watching the Olympics and they love supporting athletes. Um, so all of that funding is through sponsorships and donors. Um, in a lot of different countries, um, it can be sponsored by the government. So it's like a government program that has money always there and allotted and they can invest in different trainers or doctors or, or, or specifically buy an ice rink just for one coach. So it's, it, it's totally different. I know I have um, uh, some of my Italian friends, um, their athletic department is sponsored um, through their military. So they're all members of the military. Um, so, you know, it, so and again, it's another like government program. So like for, for the, in the U.S., it can be very tough where there's a huge sort of um, drop off. If you're not in that upper echelon, you're really, you're s scraping by it. I, I, so I'm naturally proud of government subsidized with, with the Olympic Training Center and, and everything. That's all private. Yeah. Okay, I just learned. Last hard question before we go to break. Hardest regret, or I should say the biggest regret in your life thus far? You know, I don't really think... I'm actually, I'm grateful for all of the times that I've, like, made mistakes. And I feel like they feel like regrets. Um, but 
I used to be regretful of those mistakes, but I've realized that like if I carry them with me and I actually learn something from them, I, I won't make them again. And um, they're important for like where I would like to go. So I think the only regret I have is that I didn't come to that like mentality sooner because I would have felt less embarrassed about like the shortcomings I've had. Um, I would have felt less embarrassed or like ashamed that like maybe I didn't go to an Olympics, you know, sooner. Cause I, I the Olympics I competed at was the third one I tried to qualify for. And I think I was really like defining my whole career on that, which is, it's just a competition. Um, and once I was able to kind of let go and, and be like, you know, if, you know, you just, you made mistakes. That's why you didn't go. It's not unheard of to make mistakes. People make mistakes. Um, and I think also like something that athletes, 99% of athletes go through is they have this like moment where they're like, okay, I'll never be the best. I'll never be like the Olympic gold medalist. I'll never be the world champion. And I was a really good athlete. Like I am a national champion. I've been to an Olympic games, but there is this weird sort of you wrestle with this like fantasy of yourself that like might not come true, but you, it's not even a come to terms with it's, it's more realizing that like, especially in sports, being the best is so circumstantial and it really has nothing to do with like the amount of work that you've done or haven't done, or could you have done more? It, it's like, how tall are you? Like, is this the shape of a person that's doing really well? Like, is this like, are, are we really focused on like jumps or is it more about performance? And it, that comes and goes in waves. Um, and it's, you know, kind of having this realization with yourself that like the best, you'll remember and sometimes you won't how you place, but you'll always remember how you felt at those events. And so there was a moment where I really had to like focus inward and be like, yeah, if I am my best, that is like my version of success. And I had more success from it. I won more medals. I was making more money. I was um, on Olympic teams. I won a national title, Olympic medals. So it was like in that mentality of like letting that go. Um, Cause it was like this fear of like, is it ever going to happen? Is it ever going to happen? And it was like, no, it's, it, it's not, but like that's, doesn't mean you're not good at this. And I think it was like realizing that and I could like let go of those, what felt like regrets. That is the best answer we've ever had on any podcast. We've had some pretty prolific guests. It, it is part of life. Yeah. There's, there's things that went wrong. If you learn from them, then they provided you the greatest lessons. Totally. In life. 100%. And it's amazing sitting here with someone who was on the international stage saying, I was never going to get that gold medal. You got that bronze medal, which 99.9% .9 of the figure skating community will never reach. Totally, yes. And you are good with it. Because it, it, that color, of, I, I'm so happy with what I was able to do because I won my medal in the team event. And I'm so proud of the way that I was able to like help my team and skate for my team in that moment that like I can't control the way that like my teammates may have skated if we didn't medal. But I know that like I did everything I was asked to do in that moment and I was a real asset to my team. Um, and so the medal was so secondary. And I also think of like when I think of um, 
like the medal ceremonies at the Olympics and stuff, like when I was on the podium and it's an amazing moment. But in that moment you realize like, I, this isn't for me. It's for like my mom to watch. It's for my coaches to see. It's like, I, my moment was like when I got to skate and like, I got to do like what I wanted to do. And I did my job the way that I wanted to do it. But like that moment of getting that medal, it's, you know, it's just, it's a necklace. It's nice. Really. Listen, I want to keep it, right? Uh, I'd say it's pretty coveted up. <laughs> necklace. And you have your whole nation behind you. And after the break, we're going to get into that, especially because you've broken some, some barriers with your moral courage. And I, and I want to get into that for the everyday warriors listening to this. Uh, you know, warriors within their respective profession, you, you demonstrated moral courage that previous generations did not have. Well, I appreciate that. Okay. So we're going to take a break for our uh, sponsors and we'll be right back. And we are back with Adam Rapon. Thank you. Thank you. So before the break, I, I wanted to ask this question. This is almost like asking somebody over their 40s what their age is. Talking about how much did you weigh during that period where you felt you were doing what's necessary to compete? Um, I think now, like when you think like, did I have a problem or was I obsessed with it? That I can give you like the very specifics. Um, so I, um, I weighed 147 pounds and I knew that I was like, okay, if I was living within the rank, like when I was not eating up, so my Olympic weight was 147 and it would be like 147 to 150. I would live in this like three pound range. Um, and I knew that if I was like over 150, it was like, I never went over 150. Um, but when I was not eating anything it was honestly it wasn't that like I couldn't push myself to like lose any more weight than what I had I was like 142 to 145 but it was this like five pound difference that like was like pivotal to me being a, like a healthier athlete what are you weighing now <laughs> 165 and do you feel you're the healthiest you've ever been? Yeah, I feel like I'm in like, uh, sometimes I look at like older pictures of myself and I'm like, wow, it's so crazy. Cause like in my world, everybody was like, you know, I would make like fat jokes about myself and everyone would be like, oh yeah, you're right. <laughs> and now when I see it, I'm like, that is so crazy to me that like this person would be like, I have weight to lose. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, like I was able, I, I had to, in the last few years, obviously like, when you train for the Olympics, I didn't personally know how to go to the gym and not train for the Olympics. So like, I didn't enjoy any of it. And I like realized it was something that I loved and that I needed to find like a way back into it. So like over the past like year, I've been like getting back into like working out and stuff. And so I I've, like gained more like weight up on top that I just didn't have before. I, I'm still a few pounds away from you though. <laughs> My, my wife would say different. She, she thinks I need to lose about 10 pounds. Uh, that's the house I live in and, and the abuse I go through. Um, well, so in that sort of same vein, what, what is your diet and workouts now? Are you still skinny? No. No. I like you, you've, so you've just sort of given it up. Yeah. I, I wouldn't say like get, give it up. I'd be like, don't do it anymore. Right? Did, did, I still when, have. When you it. step on the ice, I does it skate. evoke certain. No. No. 
I mean, I, I, um, still, I still love it, but it is sort of like, I, I enjoy going skating and I have friends that, um, I used to train with and stuff that will like go to the rink and we'll skate together and like, you know, it's always fun. But, um, you know, there's this like frustrating moment of like, I can't do what I used to do. So like, okay, like, what am I going to do? Yeah. Like, it's weird. So like, I enjoy being on the ice. Um, but like, I don't really skate very often, but like I make an effort to go because I do enjoy being out there. So for your, your diet and your workouts, do you have a system? Do you have a trainer? Are you following a specific diet now? Yeah. Honey, it's a free for all. It's it's a free for all. Free for all. Yeah. Yeah. I'm barely getting by. No, I'm kidding. I'm not kidding. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I think like now it was also like totally changing my relationship to food and changing it was everything because like I live at you this might shock you at a very intense level um and it was like having a healthier um relationship with food and and realizing to like you can enjoy it um because I never enjoyed food I would just I would eat it because like it was basically like as an like as somebody who's trying to go to the Olympics it was just like my version of gasoline so I'd just eat whatever like was the leanest whatever and just eat that so like I never ate because I enjoyed it and I've slowly like learned how to do that like my husband he loves to cook so that's great because my version of cooking is truly just making toast and cereal sounds like my wife <laughs> See, I'm going to pay other. for that comment later we you get that, each other right? yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, uh, so let, let, let's dive in because again the, the title of the podcast is Everyday Warrior and I believe, and I know some people hear that, and they're like, I'm not a warrior. And after I explained the, the concept to them, they, 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 they sort of warm up to it. And you are a warrior within your respective profession. In your profession, you went to the top. I mean, you're a bronze medalist in the, uh, the Olympics. But you've also taken on a, a new fight. And as I was doing research, you know, in the, the article in 2015, you came out as the first openly gay figure skater. Yeah. And I was actually shocked by 2015. Yeah. I'm like, I You're thought like, that would have been like 1999, 1990s. It just, you know, first off, the, the moral courage that must have taken, because not only socially do you open yourself up, and, and nobody wants to open themselves up to the what I call the keyboard warriors, the people I yeah, don't respect, totally, yes. uh, who just want to fling insults. So you open yourself up to the public, but there was also, from what I read, fear of how you may be judged by the, 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 the judges in the actual Olympics. Yeah. What, dude, you got to walk me through just your mindset going into that, your, your motivators. So, was it enough enough? So the mindset actually of why I even wanted to, because I think ideally everybody's sort of like, there's no reason to come out. You should just be able to, you know, be yourself and do whatever. And it doesn't matter. And, um, I think to everyone in my, like, you know, friend circle, my family, my coaches, like they all liked who I was and they could have given a shit, you know? Um, but, uh, the first time I felt like it was something that like, Oh, maybe I'll have to talk about it was, um, in 2014, the Olympics were in Russia. And they had this anti-gay propaganda law, um, which it was super unclear what that meant, 
like what what it would what would it mean if somebody spoke up against it um and i felt like if i made that olympic team if i said something was i putting myself or my family or my teammates like in danger like was i going to ruin their experience and um you know i never really said anything i would just kind of like defer the question um and i never made that olympic team so it you know it didn't matter but in those next few years after um you know not making that olympic team was super devastating and it was probably like the lowest i felt like as an athlete because i felt like that was like my time and i had missed my time so now it was like coming to terms with okay you'll never go to the olympics like you'll never do all of these things that you thought you would um and i had this like kind of renaissance a, a few months after this like very low point of like i was like i'll do one more competition i'm going to train for it like the hardest i've ever trained for anything in my life this will be the last one i don't care if i get first i don't care if i get last but like whatever if i get last but i'm proud of it i'll be like the happiest last place person ever and like that's what i kept telling myself and i skated like the best i ever skated and i was like oh my god no i can totally do this and so in that moment of feeling like i really had like nothing to lose that's when i was like okay i want to redo a lot of those things that like i wish i had done before and one that was really important to me was um being like an out athlete so in that like in those years like after um not qualifying for that Sochi Olympic team i was like i'm going to redo all of this fucking dumb shit that i should have done when i had the opportunity i'll redo it now so i used it as an opportunity to kind of like you know do that from that younger version of myself and so you know in a way i was lucky because like i wasn't and i wasn't a national champion at that point i wasn't an olympian at that point so the audience that i like i'm telling like i'm gay to is small and but it was it was like a really it was a personal thing for me to be able to share you know it's amazing you just said when you sort of said screw it what do i have to lose yeah how your perspective on things changed totally i remember it was a well when i was an officer but the 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 seal that came up to me was enlisted and he saw that i was uncomfortable speaking to crowds which funny enough you know fast forward that's what i do for a living mm. and he said hey mike you know i came up with this theory and he said Yeah, I hate to swear. He said it's my fuck it principle. He said, yeah. fuck it. He said before I do anything that I naturally have a fear of, I say fuck it. Totally. So if you've got a crowd of a thousand people, you say those words. What is the worst that's going to happen? You be yourself. You be vulnerable, and just be you. Yeah. And, and if I, people I, don't I, accept you, then screw them. That is. A hundred percent what I do and do now, and I did like I experimented with like you know if you don't have anything to lose, which at that point I had truly nothing to lose. But like in those moments, I never acted like on the defense. I was so aggressively going towards things because if I fell flat on my face or if I didn't do it, like it didn't matter. You know, people I, I, like it truly didn't matter. It didn't mean that I would have less than what I had at that moment because in that moment I didn't have anything. So it was like failing didn't scare me anymore. 
And once I wasn't scared to fail, I actually was the most successful. So when that article came out, let's, let's focus very little on this, but um, did you receive a lot of negative? No, there's just, I received like almost no attention from it. And it, I knew that that would happen because like, I, I just talked about my own personal like coming out experience in this article and it wasn't about anything other than, you know, getting ready for some season or something. But I talked about it and it was like in there and, and then it was like, you know, I was then like a publicly out athlete. Um, so there just was not a lot of like, you know, it didn't get picked up anywhere. I d didn't expect it to, you know, it was like, what, the, like the kid who didn't make the Olympics twice? Like, oh, wh what does he have to say? So I, um, it was to like a really like small group um, and like just skating people who like, I, they would reach out to me and they were like very nice about it. So it was my experience of coming, my coming out experience as an athlete um, was very positive because it was to people who knew me. But I have to assume for some teenage skater who was struggling with the same thing, I, I, I've got to assume you've got, you had some outreach where people are like, hey, thank you. Thank you for giving me the courage to, I think to I, be who I am. I haven't, I didn't realize at the time, because for me, like, you know, when I talk about my, it's my personal, like, experience of it, right? But I didn't realize, and I, I see it especially now, especially four years from my own Olympic experience as an athlete, I see four years how the landscape has totally changed. Um, and it's, it's great. It's like, it's amazing. Um, but I couldn't have imagined the way that it is now four years ago. Really? Totally. So it, better it's so foreign. Because, it, you know, for me, I, you know, I'm just, I have a big mouth. I run it all the fucking time, you know? And so I think like for a while it was just sort of like, oh, Adam just does his own thing. And it was, it's interesting now to see kind of the ripple effect of that now um, that, you know, not everybody's going to have like a big mouth like I do, but they're able to kind of be more of themselves in this like weird sort of like athlete box. Do you think that's going to be your defining impact? So, again, you, you, you competed at the Olympic level, but do you think that's going to be, I mean, to me, I hope the answer is yes, because that's an awesome impact. The, the, the path you have blazed for so many young men and women who are fearful of the judgment that they're gay. Mm. When at the, in retrospect, and then we all look at this and come from San Francisco, like, Right. So what? Yeah, I, I think um, especially like like a somebody kind of like me who's like pretty loud, and you know I always like I like to speak my mind, um, and what I make up uh, you know for being five eight in shoes because I'm five seven without them. Um, well, we're gonna you have know, to get you some cowboy boots. For, I'll give you at least yeah, two yeah, inches. Yeah. We'll, I can't we'll make up for with talking. Um, but I think that for, I, I hope that like when, um, I can like look back at like what I've like left in the sport that I was doing for, you know, my whole life, um, that I was able to like help other young skaters or other young athletes feel like who they were wouldn't define the kind of success that they could have.
Because I felt like when I was young that it might. And so, you know, for your work and for your courage, you were recognized in 2018 as a Human Rights uh, Campaign Visibility Award. What, what did that mean to you? Was that a realization for you? Was it a... I mean, it was uh, all kind of like sort of not, not really. Like it was just all kind of surreal because it all happened so fast. Like even when you go to the Olympics, like whatever sport you compete in, like everything around it is different, but everything in what you're doing is exactly what you've done a million times. Like you've probably competed at that rink before. You've com definitely competed against all of those people before. Um, you know all of the judges. They've judged you for years. You know all of the faces. So all of it is so familiar and it doesn't feel like this experience. And it's still like when I'll see things or I'll talk to people now, I still have this like weird sort of like, oh, this is, it, it's, it's much bigger than I even could have like haven't, have imagined it. It's very strange. It's very strange to like go on basically this like one month trip and come back and like your whole life is totally different. And, and eventually you went against Mike Pence, mm -hmm. but I'm assuming that maybe that those were a few words that turned into something bigger that you... Well, so basically, so I, you know, when you get ready for um, the Olympics, a lot of people talk about like, you want to have the best experience, like have a great experience at the Olympics. Like, and I was thinking about like, for me, what's the best experience? And I was like, well, for me, the best experience I can have at, a, at an Olympics would be like, I can meet a lot of people. I'll get to like, you know, be, you know, stupid and make a bunch of people laugh but I'll also be able to like showcase like who I am as an athlete, but I'm going to have a lot of fun. And for me, that also meant that like any question I was asked, I told myself I would answer it. Like I was at dinner with somebody like very candidly, I would be super honest. And I remember I did like one interview, like in my car right before the Olympics. Um, and my, the rink that I trained at was like, it used to be like a grocery store. So it's like in this strip mall. It sounds very glamorous. Um, it was in this strip mall. And so like, I'm literally in like a Taco Bell parking lot. And I remember that like, I was doing this interview on the phone and uh, the woman who was doing the interview, she asked me, she's like, what do you think of Mike Pence leading the athlete delegation? And I remember this was like a moment where I was like, okay, I can either you know, live up to that promise of like, answer this the way that you would at a dinner table or just give it the answer of like, you know, that like, you know, I don't really have any thoughts on it. I'm like focusing on myself. But I was like, no, I don't care. I'm just going to, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to say what I think. Um, and that's all that was. And it snowballed into something so much Bigger, bigger and so much um, crazier than I ever was ever thought it would, um, and I'm I'm glad it did because I think it it um, for a lot of like queer people in that moment. I know for me it felt like in that moment that it was like the 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 last like administration was so like polarizing for like queer people. Yeah. Um, that I think that they just felt like. I, I know I had moments like that where I was like, I don't think I, I like matter or like I felt maybe things will go backwards. Like it was scary. It was weird. Um, and it felt like a moment of like, I think somebody like me 
you, when you see me, I think for a long time, people think like, oh, you're, you know, you could be, you're a gay best friend, you're a sidekick. And I think like, for somebody like me, I was like, oh my God, wait, I can be like the main character. As everyone should be of their own story. Of their own story, I, I, Adam, yes. I, I can assure you, you were not a sidekick. <laughs> you're, you're, you're winning Olympic medals, dude. Um, that, that's so funny that, uh, but th- that's society putting that. In totally. Your, and in it's your like your own expectation of what you're capable of, right? Okay. We're, we're, we're jumping ahead to season 26 of uh, Dancing in the Stars, um, which first off, which was probably one of the most competitive it was, I mean, it was very good. But because they all, they, I mean, there were just athletes. Let's say international level athletes all yes. competing. And I know it was a shorter version, but going into that, what did you think your chances were? I mean, I really didn't think about it. I, again, it felt like it was right off of the Olympics. So it's like, oh, this is just a continuation of like that experience. So I, I remember like, thinking like, oh, it'll be a lot easier than, you know, it'll be easier for me. Truly, the only advantage I had was that, like, I've worn a costume before. And then I had no idea. My best way to describe, like, doing Dancing with the Stars is if, like, you have a week to learn a sentence in a different language, and you you can master it, and then you'll, you'll know it, and you'll know that one sentence, but you don't know any other fucking words. And you don't know anything else. Like, you don't have a basic understanding of the vocabulary or anything, but you're able to get this one sentence down. And that's truly, what, like, what it is. Do, do you credit the fact that you guys won a lot to Jenna? Oh, totally. I mean, because she's an amazing teacher. It's, again, like, you know, like, when you have great teachers, it, it makes, like, the work so much easier. You enjoy it. And, yeah, uh, my partner Jenna was, like, absolutely the best. Yeah, you still keep in touch with her? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. How about, what about Tanya? What about Tanya? What do you want to know? I'll tell you anything. (laughs) Had you met her prior to that point? Because like in skating, Tanya Harding is like the boogie monster. Still to this day. Yeah. She's like, she's not allowed at events. She's not allowed to coach. She's not allowed to be present. Like she's banned, completely banned. So she's truly like the big bad wolf. Did, Did you get some time with her? A little bit. How was that? What, what were your impressions? I'm putting you on the spot here. No comment is, is totally... I uh, mean, what do you think? Like, white trash. <laughs> <laughs> but I am white trash, so I can say that. It was like any, any lady I would have met in Scranton. <laughs> right? I'm Fair? sure you just made a lot of enemies in Scranton. Mm, that I already had them. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> well, you know, as we... we sort of wind down in this uh this podcast you're 32 years old i know i i, I, I say that i'm like it's so damn young and, and, I, and i see the people in the, the crowd are like shaking, shaking their heads what's what's important to you moving forward what's i mean you've got to be thinking of that you, you've already cemented your legacy by one the olympics by two, having the moral courage to be the first openly gay uh, athlete. Where do you go from here? Um, that's a great question. Um, <laughs> I like turn into a pool of water. Um, I think, you know, when I think of like when I had the most success as an athlete, I focused on like 
what I enjoyed the most from those experiences. And the experiences that I've had since, um, I've been able to use like a lot of the tools that I've learned as an athlete. Like I love, I really enjoyed the planning, the training, um, but I've always loved like performing in front of people. I've always loved like making people laugh. Um, and I've had like a, a lot of opportunities to kind of go more into like the entertainment world. Um, and I've loved it and I've enjoyed it so much. And it, it feels, um, you know, some, some work doesn't, but some does feel like super purposeful. Um, and it's, you know, and I feel that like, uh, one thing I'm able to do, I feel like I'm able to like, no matter who the person is or whatever, like, I feel like I'm able to connect with like anybody. Like I do truly feel like I could walk into any room and like leave and be friends with everybody. And I think, um, I, I want to be able to like continue to do that and to be able to keep doing things that You've I really never met enjoy. a stranger. No, that's a great way of yeah. putting it. Yeah. So media and going down that, that pathway is, is something of interest to you. And yes. Yeah. I love it. I love all the, like, uh, you know, I'm really grateful for the opportunities that I've had, but, um, all of them I've enjoyed so much. You've got the personality. I have no doubt that is, uh, that you're way ahead, but you know, a good mentor of mine said, Mike, you've got a uh, face for radio and a voice for TV. So uh, I guess I'm screwed. And you are recently married. Yeah. How's that? How's that? And so you met your husband over Tinder. Yes, I did. Give, give the quick story there because that okay. is just the new so, norm. Um, a few years ago, I was in, um, he's from Finland. So I was in Finland and um uh, I was at a competition, obviously, I told you, super focused on Tinder. Um, and we matched. We never met. And then we talked for months. And then we finally met. And then... Um, where, where did you guys meet? You came to the we States? We met at LAX. Okay. At the airport. And at first, I didn't know, like, that sounds like a bad idea, right? Uh, it sounds like a bad idea, but if, if you can't have so many people that have like flown like, right. men or women in from like far, yeah, it's, right. it, it's a gamble. Anything's a gamble. It's, life is a going, gamble. Going on a first date with, a, with somebody you meet at the bar yeah. from that quick that's interaction, that's a gamble. a gamble. Yeah. That's the original Tinder, meeting someone at a bar. All that Tinder and Bumble have done is expedite the process. I, I know a lot of people are like, yeah, yeah, that's not a way to meet somebody. No, it's absolutely a way to be totally. Yeah. It just expedites, it, it, it expedites the process. Yes. And, and here's the other thing too. My wife talked about this all the time. We didn't meet on Tinder or Bumble, but we, we both were on it. Is anyone who tells you that attraction is not the first ingredient is lying through their teeth. Yeah. You don't look at a, a, a girl across the bar and says, hey, you know, I'm not a tr physically attracted to her, but I bet she's got a great personality. I know. Here's the thing. I'll tell you, though, about my Tinder profile. Um, my now husband was like, I just I remember looking at your pictures and you had such a beautiful smile. That smile I had photoshopped because I was starting my Invisalign and I was like, I'll just kind of move my teeth around to the way that I love will end up. So that was the beauty. Eventually, that was my smile, but at the time, it wasn't. So when you met your, your, your husband on uh, Tinder, had you already won the... It was, so I, we, we met on Tinder before the Olympics, and we met in person after. Okay. Yeah, and he, he's, like, told me that it was a very, like, odd experience 
to um, watch you on TV. Well, it was all of a sudden, like, one day he, like, saw the newspaper in Finland, and it was like, I was on the cover of it. And he was like, this is this guy from Tinder? So it, it's funny to hear his, like, perspective of everything, because, like, I truly was just some, like, random person that, you know, we, we were, you know, talking with each other. So, um, yeah, his perspective of it is, like, very interesting. Did you have any uh, competition photos on your profile? No. No. I had one or two, like, skate. I, and I think I had one skating one where I was, like, on the ice because I was, like, maybe that'll work. It didn't really work. It, I mean, it worked eventually. I got a husband out of it. I mean, so he sees you in the front front page. I mean, that, yeah. that's, that's just points. That's points. Yeah. yeah. I tried that with my wife. You know, I leaned in on, on her first date. And I'm like, hey, I need to tell you something. Because I was at the time still. I was still an active video. I'm like, yes. hey, I'm uh I'm an ABCL. And she looked at me and she's like, oh, awesome. <laughs> had no clue what it is. It was the first time that I'd ever gone on a date with a girl that didn't know what it was. And I, I, I had to be myself from there. And so it was just a real struggle from that point. Well, you know, because with JP and I, I was like, we're never going to meet. So I don't care. So we would talk and I would like truly be actually honest for the first time. I was like, you know, we just would like, you know, ask each other, you know, intense questions. And I would actually answer them super honestly because I was like, I'm never going to meet this person. And then obviously, like, we became very close because of just really having no guard up from the beginning. How's he, uh, how's he adjusting to the L.A. life? He loves it. He loves it. Yeah, he loves where, it. Where, where do you live before? Um, he lived in Helsinki before. Okay, so he came from a, yes. a larger city. Yeah. Okay. No, he loves it. And we live, like, outside of, like, the craziness yeah, of, like, Hollywood. Pasadena. Yeah. yeah. Pasadena. Pasadena's great. So, like, you can, it's, like, very walkable. So, it's, it's my favorite part of California. Except for the taxes. Exactly. Don't love those. I'm still finding a way to not pay them, but I, it's not working. I, it is every American, like, American's duty to pay as less taxes as possible. 100%. 100%. Yeah, uh, I think anything more, you can write off. If anybody here has any extra receipts, I will take them. <laughs> you and just I will use put a bullseye them. on your back for the IRS. It's You're okay. getting audited yeah. in 2022. I know, I know it. You heard it first here. Um, well, as we close out again, we we ask two questions for the listeners. Okay. Again, our everyday warriors, warriors within their respective professions that are trying to be, live their, their, their best lives. And you've lived a multitude of lifetimes within your 32 years. How will Adam measure if he's lived a fulfilling, purposeful, impactful life? When you're 70, what, I mean, what is it that you're going to look back and be, be like, I lived well? Um, I feel like, there, you know, I'm 32 Hopefully there's many more years of me to do things that like I'll be proud of. Um, but for what I've done so far, I'm very proud of it. And I'm, um, sometimes I think about like, I can't believe that like in those moments, I like actually stepped up to the plate. Um, it feels like, so, like unreal. And it feels like, I don't know how I did that. Um, but I think for, for what I've done so far, I'm, I'm very proud of. Um, and I think that, like, I 
won't focus too hard on like what I want my legacy to be or like whatever I want to like leave behind. Um, because I feel that like, um, you know, I, I feel like life has led me to circumstances where like I could either take advantage of them or not. And I think that that's what w- will continue to happen. My old man, again, has been right about 99% of the things. And he's a, he's a, you know, born and raised in San Francisco, built his own little empire. Uh, good, good man. And my finest mentor said, and he saw me struggling. Life is a mystery to be lived, not a puzzle to be solved. Yes. So just take it as it comes. Lastly, Again, we all have fundamental pr- principles by which we live our lives. What are those one to three principles, your keys to success up to this point that you've lived your life by that maybe myself can take on board to, to live a better life? I think there's like two things that I like take with me into everything that I do. And the first one is that like nobody cares um, because everybody's so focused about like what does everybody else think? That, like, when you finally realize, like, oh, everybody's thinking that, they don't care about what you're doing. And even if they talk shit about you, they're going to do it for five minutes. Even if they're, like, railing you behind your back and you have no idea. They're just going to, it's only for five minutes and it's, like, and then it's done. Then they really don't care. And I think that, like, I always look to people who I seemingly think don't care what people think. And I really admire them. And I'm like, yeah, I should live more like that. When did you come to that realization though? What age? I would say like I started caring less probably like five years ago. And it's obviously there have been times where I've cared more. Um, And it's like you have to get to a realization again of like, just let it go. Like it really, it's, it, it doesn't matter that much. And the other thing is, um, like go into every sort of situation like you have nothing to lose um and when i every time i feel like i have nothing to lose um i'm just it's that like letting go of the fear of failure um and when i'm able to do that i feel like you know if things don't go the way that i want it's okay i can learn from it but i never see it as something bad and i used to see it as something bad so it's those are the two things that i like take with me into everything that i do so you see the upside of failure now it's part of the process of life. Totally. Yes. 100%. Well, Adam, thank you for joining us for this episode of the Everyday Warrior. First off, from all of America, thank you for representing our nation and kicking ass. And more so, thank you for the moral courage for doing on the social side what you think is right for a lot of young men and women that, that look up to you, man. Oh, well, and I thank mean you. That. And thank you for your service. I... Well, dude, I was happy to do it. Trust me, I was surrounded by uh, men and women that were better than me. So to all the listeners, thank you for joining us on this episode of the Everyday Warrior Podcast brought to you by Men's Journal. Uh, don't forget to subscribe to the show and pick up the newest edition of Men's Journal Magazine, which I'm in. Uh, I'll be picking it up. Don't worry. I would sign it for you, but actually the value of the magazine goes down when I sign it. Um, <laughs> But it's, I it's uh, I, I, we had an expedition where we all skydived into Mount, the, the Mount Everest region, which was, was cool. Wow. I was definitely nervous as hell because yeah. I just had a hip replacement. But, um, you know, Men's Journal, why I took this deal and I love this company is, you know, it's packed with amazing features on health and fitness, which are both important to both of us. Yes. Even more so my thing, adventure and travel. Are, are, you, are you much of a traveler? You know, Yeah. <laughs> you wish you travel more, right? I should travel more. Yes. Yeah, as everyone should. And even even traveling, if it's you, you only have a budget to go from California to to somewhere in Nevada or Arizona. Yeah, totally. Yes. Do it. 
Uh, we also cover style, the coolest gear hit in the market. And I've got to ask you, what is what is that one device you always have on you, other than your cell phone? That's the easy answer. Okay, uh, device I always have with me. I mean, it's like cell phone oriented. My my like laptop. I need to have my laptop around, or, or like a portable like charger. So the portable charger yeah. is your everyday carrier. Does that work for you? I, I'd, I'd agree. Thank you. I'd agree. Okay. All right. Uh, and guys, until next time. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Men's Journal Everyday Warrior podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and pick up a new issue of Men's Journal magazine. Men's Journal magazine has features on health and fitness, adventure and travel, style, and my favorite, the coolest gear hitting the market today. Until next time, I'm Mike Sorelli, and thanks for listening. Thank you.